About Audiology podcast. I am your host, Dr. Lilach Saperstein, and on this show, we talk about audiology and how it impacts your life. It's not just about hearing aids and hearing tests and X's and O's, but it's actually really about how to communicate, how to connect with people. And I'm very excited to welcome today's guest, Dr. Brian Taylor, who is an audiologist and the director of clinical content development at Signia. And so we're going to be speaking about the latest and greatest in hearing aid technology, and also more about your history, your background, and your role uh, with audiology in general, and particularly something that is very close to my heart and a big part of why I got into the field, talking about the stigma about hearing aids, especially for middle-aged, you know, young adults, middle-aged. I think there's a lot of stigma there. So welcome to the show. How are you doing? Uh, great. Thanks for uh, having me on your podcast, Dr. Saperstein. I appreciate it. Awesome. So tell us, tell us a little bit about your background in audiology. How sure. did you even come into the field? Well, it goes back about 30 years ago. Uh, like a lot of folks in audiology, I started off as in speech pathology and uh, found myself uh, after one audiology class, uh, more interested in the hearing component than the speech component for various reasons. Um, just to give you a little bit about my background, I grew up on a farm in uh, Northwest Wisconsin, about two or three hours from Minneapolis. That's where I live now. And uh, the first half of my career, I worked as a clinical audiologist in a couple of uh, ENT practices in the Chicagoland area. Found myself in a private practice uh, this goes back about 20 years ago, also in the Chicagoland area. That private practice was acquired by a company by the name of Sonus. That uh, if you're over the age of uh, 40, you might remember Sonus. It was one of the first large kind of corporate audiology entities. Uh, Sonus was acquired by a company in Italy called Amplifone. Uh, Amplifone's headquarters are in Minneapolis. Uh, Amplifone also owns the Miracle Ear brand. And anyway, I found myself 18 years ago moving from Chicago to Minneapolis, where I've been and worked at, spent some time at Unitron, uh, spent some time in Italy uh, as part of the, Am the global Amplifone group. And uh, most currently, a uh, proud member of the Siemen, of the uh, Signia group. Anyway, that's my, that's, that's my background. Yeah, I think that's super, super interesting, especially for our young audiologists and communication disorder students who are looking at their career options and um, what are my options if I go into this field? And the very common thing that you mentioned was I went in for speech and then that audiology class it got mm -hmm. <laughs> hooked. It, it, you know, it's kind of like when you see the light, you're like, oh, <laughs> is this, this is fun. This is puzzles and technology and devices. Maybe I'm into this more. Yeah, no, that's what's great about audiology. It kind of combines a lot of different things. You know, the, you have the uh, device component, you have the psychology component, yeah. uh, the medical component. So it, it covers a lot of uh, interesting territory. Exactly. And so I wonder if you want to say a few words about working in industry. You know, the, I'm very blunt. I'll say how it is. And sometimes there's this feeling where, you know, the young, especially when we're so idealistic in grad school, we want to do everything great. And then it's like, uh-oh, industry is like selling your soul and <laughs> becoming, you know, on this side of things. But I think there's, you know, so much opportunity. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, that. well, all the experience that you have. Yeah, I think that, you know, I always like to say there's the industry component and then there's the there's the industry and there's the profession and they're two different things. So obviously the profession is really what you're doing in clinical practice, uh, seeing patients, you know, and really what's interesting about the profession in my opinion is, 
We have, you know, the medical model where we're trying to diagnose hearing disorders. We work pretty closely with ENTs and other physicians on hearing and balance issues. Uh, and then there's the chronic care component where once you rule out a medical condition that can be treatable, it's all about trying to help somebody hear better. And that usually revolves around devices, cochlear implants, hearing aids, so on and so forth. And then what's interesting is that's rapidly expanding. But in industry, I think it's always about uh, trying to bring innovation, put that in the hands of clinicians. And we really need to work hand in glove, the profession and the industry. Uh, there's a whole lot of crossover. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not like we can say, you know, we need the devices. <laughs> we need, if we want to reach our, our outcomes, you know, clinical outcomes. Exactly. So. <laughs> it's hard. To, it's really hard to make the argument that a person that has uh, sensory neural hearing loss uh, is going to be a, I mean, there's cases where you could say a person doesn't really need any kind of device, but you know, 90 out of a hundred times, somebody needs a device as part of their treatment plan. Sure. And I'm glad also that you mentioned, you know, the different ways to look at audiology many times a medical model, but there's also a huge counseling component, which is what, what I do with my mm -hmm. retreats and my international clients, because I think there's so much room for audiologists to help people along this journey that is not focused on the clinical side. Like there, there could be room for both of those things. Oh, no, no doubt about it. I think that's yeah. kind of an under underappreciated component of audiology is the, the counseling yeah. for sure. So I'd love to hear more about what you think when we talk about hearing aid stigma, what are the biggest barriers for people? Would you say it is stigma or something else that keeps people from getting help? Well, I think stigma is a big part of it. That's a really interesting, very broad question that you ask. I think that uh, the heart of this question really is expanding the market. You know, somewhere between 15, only 15 to 30 percent of people that have a disabling hearing loss uh, are wearing any kind of, any type of device. And then the next question is, well, why is that important? Well, it's important because we know that untreated hearing loss is associated with all other with a lot of other really challenging conditions, everything from dementia, depression, uh, loneliness, social isolation, increased medical expense costs are all associated with untreated hearing loss. Not to mention that if you have a hearing loss, you're not going to communicate very effectively with your family and friends. So I think that's, that's the first component of the question is how do we broaden the market or how do we expand the market and why hasn't the market been expanded? Cost, access are certainly issues, but one that maybe flies under the radar is uh, is stigma. And that's a and, and from my, when I think about stigma, um, and you're probably familiar with the work of Meg Walhagen. She has a really well uh, a paper published maybe ten years ago around stigma uh, and how that's related to hearing loss. What I recall is there's a lot of, uh, it's a multifaceted issue around ageism, uh, somebody's perception of, of this, their own self-perception, um, their own inability to want to maybe get involved in the process because they don't like the way the hearing aids look. They think it's associated with being old and uh, decrepit. And uh, I think one thing I'm really proud of in my role at Signia, at Signia is that I think we have brought to market some, I'll call them uh, stigma busting devices that I think address this condition. One product that came to market a few years ago, one form factor is Stiletto. Uh, another is Silk. That's what we'd call an invisible in the canal aid. And then more recently, a device called Active. Those are all form factors that are designed and really geared, I think, to address the stigma issue. What you're saying is they're so small or sleek or hidden 
that they're not as seen? Is that where? Yeah, that's a big part of it. Uh, They don't look like hearing aids. In fact, we've done some internal, uh, we've collected internal data surveys that I I hope that we publish sometime soon that show that a lot of consumers don't think that these products are hearing aids. They look at them Mm -hmm. and think they're more likely to be like an earbud or some type of a consumer electronic piece. And I think that really helps everybody, you know, back to that, trying to expand the market. One way to try to expand the market is bring things into the market that don't look like hearing aids. Definitely. Yeah. The last few years, huge for hearables and for lots of audio products, like the whole Alexa Echo ecosystem of, you know, using audio. I mean, even before that with Siri, but, you know, all this new stuff that's like a focus on audio across the board definitely brings more people into this. And and also, you know, the the early days of Bluetooth, when it was like, is that person talking to themselves or are they on the phone? Like no one thinks that anymore. It's very clear. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that anything that we can do to kind of, uh, you know, I think stigma gets in the way of the decision-making process for the consumer, the person with hearing loss. And if we can mm-hmm. somehow eliminate that barrier, everybody wins. Yeah. And I think another element that I saw in, in clinical practice and also just socially is this feeling that, that people don't want other people to know that they have difficulty hearing or hearing loss. And the reason is because they don't want to seem like they aren't capable, but that in itself, like just that connection, it's inherently really, really ableist and wrong that there's any connection between your hearing levels and your intelligence. No, that's a, that's, that? that's a good, no, that's a really good point. I think that really speaks to the fact that of the profession working with industry to try to overcome a barrier because we can bring a product to market that looks small. It doesn't look like a hearing aid, but then at the end of the day, when a, a clinician is with a patient, your counseling skills are really important to overcome that barrier to your point. Yeah. And to remind people that people are going to know either way that something is up, either they think you're aloof or that you're ignoring them or mm-hmm. that you miss the joke, mm-hmm. or, you know, or you don't listen in meetings. Like it's going to come out one way or another. So, right. <laughs> so maybe the conversation is what's that in your ear, um, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but you're getting all the, all the stuff. And then another element in the stigma conversation, I think is also about various religious communities, insular communities, but also across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember having patients, uh, I worked in Brooklyn, you know, very diverse patient population in the clinic where I worked. Mm-hmm. So we had Jews and a lot of Jews said, oh, I don't know. It's not good for for the family and the reputation. And then we had Muslim patients and they would say the exact same thing. Then we had Hindu patients, they would say the exact same thing. So <laughs> I think there's something about, you know, close-knit insular family kind of communities that that also might have an element of stigma around these kind of things. Yeah, no, uh, that's interesting. Yeah, so kind of no matter where you go around the world, there's always going to be communities out there that um, struggle with this issue. Yeah, so do you find that that there's any specific way that you recommend for clinicians or, you know, again, for our, for our listeners, whether you're the family member and you're trying to convince someone to go in and get it, how we, how can we start to fight this stigma? besides for making cool looking devices? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's where, you know, those kind of, uh, a lot of empathy, um, you know, talking to somebody, uh, trying to put yourself in their shoes, but at the same time, encouraging them to at least see a professional 
I think uh, you know, goes a long way. Again, it's it, it, communication skills are uh, really important, uh, both in the clinic, but but also with your friends and family. Not hammering somebody over the head and saying you have to do this, but maybe saying, "Have you thought about all the good things that could happen if uh, you took the next step oh, you know, yes. on the journey?" You know, that's really an important component to to this. I think that's really good, and you know, I think I need to apply that to my parenting too. <laughs> go to do what I said, but you know, if you do what I said, then one of the benefits of doing that. <laughs> I wish. Yeah. Well, I, I have, three, uh, I have, my kids are probably a little older than yours and uh, yeah, teenagers, young adults. And uh, yeah, it's uh, easier said than done sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's important also for us to uh, see that some of the conversations we have within audiology Many, you know, you're talking to other people, many of them are parents and we're professionals coming from a professional perspective, but also really there's so much room for seeing each other as partners in a decision in it in you know, part of your healthcare plan um, and moving totally away from like a authoritarian you know, I'm the boss model. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, that's uh, interesting that you brought that up. I don't want to, I, I, I guess I'm going to plug. I just uh, wrote a textbook called relationship centered communication. Look at it's that. It's going to be released early uh, later this year. And uh, the whole idea is, is audiology has kind of grown up in the medical model. Yeah. Uh, you know, here, describe the problem, focus on the, we talk too much about the audiogram, in my opinion, and yeah. how do we transition away from talking about the audiogram and uh, how do we transition into talking about the person uh, and what's important to them? Uh, anyway, yeah. so I feel like I know a little bit about that since I wrote about a, a six chapters on it for a book. <laughs> That's fabulous. No, thank you for mentioning that. That's wonderful. That's definitely something we talk about here on the podcast all the time. And for parents who come into this, which is a big part of our listenership, our parents of deaf or hard of hearing children who have come into this world, like, and then a whiplash with so much information, technical, medical information reports. And it's like, okay, but how do I help my child? And what do we do? Those decisions are, are much broader. So that's a big conversation we have here. And what you said about the audiogram, sometimes I think about it like this. If you go to a cardiologist, and then the cardiologist would unfurl this law print out of your EKG and start explaining to you what does what does this access mean and what do these lines mean? Like what? I don't need to know how to read the EKG. That's why you went to school for eight years, not me. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Just That's, tell uh, me like what medicine do I need or you know what's going on with my heart. I don't need to know the details. Right. <laughs> And sometimes I think we fall into the trap and maybe because it's easy and that's our comfort zone as, as clinicians, as we want to talk about the, the X's and O's, you know, and the average patient doesn't want to go into the weeds on that. And that's always, you know, I think that's just something that all of us are kind of challenged by and have to think of a better way. I know that there's been inroads made in this area. For example, the Ida Institute now has things on their website to, you know, how to talk better, how to have a better conversation about the test results. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's pretty interesting, you know, trying to get away from these long technical explanations of the test. Yes, yes. I'm a big fan of the Ida Institute and mm -hmm. all of their, their tools. So I'm going to take a look at that. You know, and at the same time, I do want to just put in there that it is important to understand your child's audiogram. But maybe it's not the first thing you need to know. <laughs> right. Okay. So we talked about your, your uh, textbook and your ideas in the this whole concept of relational communication. Mm -hmm. 
And I, I'd love to hear what advice you have for our listeners uh, when they're going for themselves or for their family members. I think that probably some of the, the best advice I could give is that you want to feel comfortable with the professional that you're working with. So make sure that you're able to, they've given you adequate time. Just like with any other medical professional that you're going to encounter, I think you want to, you don't want to ever feel rushed. You want to feel like you can ask questions. You want to, at the, you know, pretty early in the appointment, you want to feel like the trust and rapport to be uh, building. You want to feel like you're not being pressured to buy something. I think that's one of the real challenges in our profession is that the way we define success is that we're converting people that don't wear hearing aids into hearing aid wearers. And there's a there's an acquisition or a transaction process involved in that, which is all well and good. But I think that we have to really be careful that we don't uh, try to push somebody into doing something that they uh, don't want to do. And I think that it happens a lot with with many chronic conditions, not just hearing loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think you want to make sure if you're a consumer, you want to make sure you're working with somebody that doesn't isn't going to pressure you into doing something that you don't want to do. But at the same time, I think you want to work with somebody who's going to kind of maybe challenge you a little bit, because one of the issues around hearing loss, I think, is that people sometimes upwards of 10 years to get help. And or during that 10-year period of time, they acquire a lot of uh, maladaptive behaviors. And it takes a while to unra- unravel those behaviors and you want to work with a professional that's going to kind of, I use the word challenge, maybe it's not the best word, but you want to work with somebody that's going to help you overcome those behaviors, challenge you a little bit to rethink your condition and uh, acquire some better, more productive kinds of communication behaviors. And of course, the device is a big part of that knowledge and skills to, to use it effectively. So what are some of those maladaptive behaviors <laughs> that people develop? Well, I think that avoiding places because they don't want to be there, because they can't hear, they're embarrassed, because maybe they're afraid they're going to miss out on something, uh, relying on somebody else to kind of be your communicator. I, you see that a lot with couples that have been together a long time, and maybe the husband doesn't hear very well, and the wife is there, and she's sort of like his, his spokesperson who's in, almost like an interpreter. Have you met my grandparents? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I have relatives like that too. Yeah. So I think that's that's part of it. Um, helping somebody, first you have to make them aware of those behaviors, and that can be an uncomfortable yeah. conversation. And then it's like, well, what do I? You know, well, here's a, let's put together a plan on how you can recognize that behavior, and let's replace that behavior with something that's maybe a little bit more proactive better behavior that'll help you communicate more effectively. And that mm-hmm. that's not an easy thing to do. Uh, but that's really the, that's the challenge of, of a clinician these days is to not only find the right technology to help somebody, but also then to put together a plan that I think addresses some of these negative kinds of behaviors we've been talking about. Yeah. And the, the part that I always find so fascinating is that there are times when the patient won't really notice necessarily a big gain from their perspective and they'll be like yeah I wear the hearing aid yeah, I don't have to turn the tv on so high but the other people in their life notice the difference they're they don't have to speak up as much and repeat themselves that you know their burden maybe has been lifted and the patient oh, themselves yeah. doesn't notice it yeah yeah well, and I think that really speaks to why it's important when somebody comes into the office for some help from a, from their clinician that they have a uh, 
you know, either a spouse, a companion, somebody they've spent a lot of time with as part of that journey, because they can kind of reflect on how the treatment, the use of hearing aids has not only helped the person wearing them, but also the individual that spends a lot of time with them. Uh, I'm a big believer that the companion or the communication partner needs to be involved in the entire process, goal setting, uh, outcome measures. Uh, you know, there are a lot of tools out there. One of your former professors, uh, Barbara Weinstein, is one of the creators of the tool I think about called the Hearing Handicap Inventory that measures auditory wellness. And there's a patient version and there's a companion version. And you can do it pre-treatment and post-treatment to see how much of an impact the use of hearing aids, for example, has on somebody's auditory wellness, not only the individual, but also their companion. And I think that's a really important component to what we do in the clinic. Yes, Dr. Weinstein, the HHIE, it's huge. And we, yeah, and it, what's so important about it is that it talks about what is the actual impact in your life. Like what situations are you, are you struggling to communicate or to hear? And mm-hmm. that's, yeah, that's totally where a lot of my foundation for, for learning all this and, and really seeing the patient centered. totally. Yeah, no, I'm a big uh, <laughs> proponent of, I like that term auditory wellness. I think that that's something you're going to hear more about in our field over the next decade, how important mm-hmm. it is to uh, capture somebody's auditory wellness pre and post treatment. That's a really good term. I haven't heard that. Yeah, it's kind of a hot time. There's been a couple of articles written on it over the last few months in like JAMA otolaryngology, ear and hearing. For those professionals out there that read those journals, they have seen that. I think quality of life might be a better term or a a term that's just useful. Yeah, okay. You know, and I, I appreciate that because for people whose primary way of communicating is auditory, it would be auditory wellness, but that wouldn't apply to everyone. So I appreciate it. Right. Yeah. So quality, <laughs> yeah, quality of life is probably a broader uh, mm-hmm. term. That's one that we use a lot in our at Signia when we talk about building hearing aids and how we want to impact people, we want to improve mm-hmm. their quality of life. Well, thanks for bringing me up to date. I need to catch up on that. <laughs> the latest reading. <laughs> you mentioned about bringing the communication partner, their adult child or their spouse or whoever's around their aid. You know, if they have someone with them during the day and stuff. So my question is, how has COVID impacted this, you know, across the board that people really can only come one at a time or, you know, that do you feel like that implications of that? forward? Yeah, I think that uh, we're lucky we we live in an age where we can uh, Zoom like we are now or use whatever you're HIPAA compliant uh, virtual tool is. I think it. I think there's a lot of great things that. I guess it's the what's the what's the term uh, that I'm thinking of here. Um, you know, it's a COVID is a horrible thing, but there's a, a couple of maybe good things that will come out of it. Uh, and what I'm referring to is telehealth, remote care, the ability for a patient and their provider to kind of pick and choose. Uh, do they want to conduct the visit in person or do they want to conduct the visit in the virtual world? I think that there's some real advantages to having an option. I think of all the patients out there when they're initially fitted with their hearing aids that might have a couple of simple questions. They need a little bit more information about how to get the hearing aids in the ear, how to use the, how to recharge the hearing aid, or maybe they need an adjustment. Like in the Signia world, we have a whole, we have an app, a telehealth app that they can use to do remote adjustments. And uh, I think that was kind of underutilized pre-COVID. And now after COVID, a lot more people are comfortable using that. And it's 
it's a tremendous advantage for patients because I think of all the patients out there that I've fitted over the years that they maybe gave up too soon because they didn't want to have to, it was inconvenient to come into the office for numerous in-person visits. And then they just kind of gave up. And now with telehealth, uh, using a remote care app, for example, they can quickly interact with their provider and they get the necessary information they need real quick. And uh, they're back on their way. And the hearing aids are more likely to be in the ear because of it. Yes, that's that's something we used to talk about in grad, when I was in grad school, which was I graduated in 2017. So it's like already a whole new generation of new things. Like when I, when I was in, it was the latest was the rechargeable batteries just starting out. And now, you know, there's always new, new fun things like the intermediate streamers that was also phased out. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's pretty amazing how much technology is uh, every, with new, every new platform, with every new chip, all the new things that happen. I mean, just a couple of years ago, to your point, recharge, there, there weren't too many hearing aids that were rechargeable now. I mean, for example, in Signia World, we have an entire line of products that are all rechargeable. The runtime, the charge time is pretty impressive. You can get almost, you know, like a full several days of use. You don't have to charge the here just on a few hours of charge. It's pretty impressive. Several days now. Wow. Yeah, that's so that's I mean, news to me. <laughs> well, days meaning you're wearing the hearing aid, you know, not you're not wearing it 24 hours a day. So if you're sure, wearing- <laughs> sure. But I think I remember it being like, oh, if you charge it, you'll get 12 to 14 hours and you have to yeah, charge it every it's night. It's over you know, 24 now, I think. It's wow. Or 60. I think uh, we have a, some products that are around 60 hours. So look at that. Yeah, so, yeah it's pretty, it's see? pretty amazing. Yeah. I haven't been in a, in a hearing aid clinic in quite a bit. So I'm behind on that. Thank you. And I think that's true for our patients too. Like if, if there's something that you know from two or three or four years ago, it's probably changed since then. See? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you look at the, all the ways that you can use an app to, to adjust your hearing aid or to connect with your provider. Uh, you look at uh, wireless uh, streaming to your iPhone or to your Android. Uh, you look at machine learning and uh, inside of a hearing aid to make adjustments uh, in real time or another application of machine learning in the Signia world is a feature called own voice processing where the hearing, this this always blows me away. I find this to be really interesting. You can train the hearing aid to recognize the wearer's own voice. (laughs) And when the hearing aid recognizes the voice after you've trained it, it knows to just turn that sound down. And uh, that way it's more comfortable for the wearer. As you know, people that wear hearing aids for the first time, yeah, they really struggle with the sound quality of their own voice. And there's a lot of negative things that can happen if somebody struggles with their own voice. Well, here's an algorithm that uses machine learning that takes care of that problem pretty much instantaneously. That is so, very cool. Yeah. So Okay. I have, I have a question about the remote pro- programming app. Mm-hmm. When, when you talk about that, you mean that there's still an audiologist doing the changes just right. doing it remotely. So it's not the person can kind of tinker or can they, or both? Well, it's really both. But I think primarily the way you do it is with this remote app, You would the patient would connect in the virtual world with their provider. Their provider would make the adjustments really through the, through the phone app to the hearing aid. Mm. So it's basically doing everything you do in the clinic, except for you're using the phone and the app to, to connect. There are Insignia is one of the only companies that has this. It's called Signia Assistant that uses another form of machine learning uh, to enable the hearing aid where to make adjustments. So it takes the data mm-hmm. of thousands of other similar hearing aid wares that maybe have similar audiograms 
and similar wearing a similar product with similar features and settings. Mm -hmm. And again, the, the, the provider has to give the patient control of this. So it's not like the patient can do this on their own. The provider has some say in it, but once the provider says, okay, you can use this app, then they can take and then they can make adjustments based on thousands of data points in the cloud versus maybe the advantage is you're looking at thousands of data points versus maybe one data point an important one it's the it's the clinician but the clinician has a bias and you know maybe that clinician's having a bad day but you know what i mean so <laughs> yeah. that, that's the beauty of uh, of artificial intelligence and machine learning is that it can you can pool all of this information and make smarter choices uh, sure. so the signia assistant app not for everybody but for the right patient this can be a great way to adjust your hearing aid yeah. And I remember, you know, you mentioned Dr. Weinstein when, in one of her classes. One of the most important things we learned there was that even the idea of what it looks like to grow older and, you know, her, her expertise in geriatrics, at what point is someone quote unquote old? Mm-hmm. And what, what do the older generation, you know, maybe 70 plus, which is the majority of our patients, right? What, mm-hmm. what would you say about that? So, you know, we kind of did this exercise about, Oh, there, you know, all the stereotypes about quote unquote old people. And then it was like, actually, the data is they're much more tech savvy and using lots of different devices, much more uh, consumer educated mm-hmm. and very risk averse to, you know, making bad purchases and things like all the all the things that maybe you would have used to think about people in, uh, in middle age plus and older might say, to, <laughs> you know, you have to start looking at people. In a, in a different way. And that was, I think, an important lesson that, that stayed with me. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. And I think the point that you're bringing to mind for me is that uh, you can't look at somebody's chronological age and make mm. assumptions these days. Um, I've seen all kinds of 85, 90 plus year old folks that are very tech savvy, that are really cued into their gadgets and uh, don't need all that much help. But at the same time, there might be somebody who's far younger, who's resistant to those kinds of things. So you really have to get it on a case by case basis. Exactly. All I'm thinking about is my delightful 84 year old grandmother who sends me WhatsApp messages and WhatsApp recordings and forwards all the things. (laughs) Yeah, no, you can't make assumptions about somebody just because they're older that they won't use those things. I think if you expose them and they see all of the benefits from it, they're likely to... uh, to embrace it. And, and also the other component is those gadgets are getting easier and easier to use. That helps us too. Yes. I have another question for you about, mm-hmm. you know, this is a little bit um, silly. So let's, mm-hmm. let's follow. <laughs> I'm like okay with silly. Fun. We like uh, to have fun here. <laughs> Truthfully, there are people who will say, you know what, this is too advanced. This is too much. Like, I don't know about this whole artificial intelligence, machine learning. Is my hearing aid spying on me? Where are all these recordings going? Like, you know, we've I've actually had patients ask about the fact that there's a live microphone here. Where is, is this going somewhere? So I know that's kind of a funny thing to say, but, you know, it's a question people have. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a legitimate question. I think that you have to reassure people that the data that you're uh, anonymous, people don't have access to anything besides a few very detailed things about their the setting inside the hearing aid. So it's anonymized data. There might be a few conspiracy theorists out there that won't believe anything that you say around that. But um, I think just offering some reassurance. The other thing is, if somebody doesn't want that, 
uh, then fine, turn all that stuff off. Uh, at the end of the day, the most important thing in a hearing aid, in my opinion, in my opinion, I like to think is based on a reasonable amount of science, is uh, we want to make sure that we optimize audibility and comfort. You know, most modern hearing aids do that. What I like to say is at Signia, we build the hearing aids. Uh, we try to be as innovative as possible. And we've talked about a lot of that innovation. We build the hearing aids, but the clinician has to fit them. Yes, And that means you have to make sure that they're matching a target like the NAL or the DSL. For those non-clinicians out there, I won't go into the details of what that means, but just know there's about 30 or 40 years of science that says we know how loud a hearing aid should be based on your audiogram and a few other variables. And it's up to the clinician to customize that to the individual. Yes. And that is very important for people to also know that uh, it might take more than one one visit or one telehealth visit too. You sure. know, it's a, it's a process of learning how to get it to fit you. Very, mm-hmm. very unlike something like glasses where, you know, you put them on and you see better. Hopefully. Yeah, the, the ear is a little <laughs> bit uh, more complicated, I guess, than the eye when it comes to that kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, that is very, very helpful. And a lot of things that people can keep in mind. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, right. I'm so, so glad to have this conversation. It's all, like hitting all the topics that are, that are very important to me. And then I hope more people can know. Good. Plus, yeah, yeah. plus uh, a kind of recent several episodes have really focused on children. So I'm excited to talk more about adults. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't profess to uh, be, a, be a pediatric audiologist. So I won't, I won't even go down that path with you. Really. Yeah, that's a whole other world. So I just want to put that out there for if there's anything we talked about, then it's like, are they talking about teenagers? Like, maybe not yet. Yeah, no, no. I'm, I, I like to confine my conversations, yeah, to the uh, adults, middle-aged and older adults primarily. <laughs> yes. All right. So my last question for you is going to be about the person who's uh, listening to us on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at allaboutaudiology.com. Um, where they can also, by the way, find a full transcript of today's conversation. They're listening to this and they're saying, well, I'm listening to a podcast. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm understanding this conversation and maybe some advice for the person who says, do I really need an audiologist? When, what, when do I say, hmm, maybe it's time to go in and, and see what are the options out there for me? Hey, I think about the patient journey. We call the process of uh, knowing that you need to take some action. For example, uh, let's say you're 55, 60 years old and your family, your friends are saying, oh, you're not hearing very well. When somebody first starts telling you that, you're probably going to say, well, I'm not even aware that the problem exists. I'm, it's there. It, I guess the point I'm trying to make is there's a journey from being unaware of the problem to accepting that you need to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And that process, if you see a professional they might be able to speed that process up and, and uh, help you sooner rather than later. Why would it be important to get help sooner rather than later? Uh, for some of the things I mentioned early on in the podcast today, we know that even people that have subclinical hearing loss on the low end of normal are more likely to uh, have depressive symptoms or more likely to have, their, to have uh, some dementia uh, or cognitive decline, even when they have low normal hearing compared to people that are on the upper range of normal of the same age. Uh, so that's a really important reason to speed the journey. And I think that a professional can help you do that. Uh, another uh, reason to have a professional involved is even in a world, we haven't even 
gotten into this yet, but I think all of us know that over-the-counter hearing aids are going to become reality sometime in the near future. Um, even for people that might go the OTC route uh, initially, I think there's a, an opportunity and a need to have the professional involved in boosting their skills and their knowledge and getting more out of using their devices, even devices they may have bought somewhere else other than the provider. So anyway, there's all kinds of opportunities for um, the, the provider to be involved throughout the journey. Even if they were to buy devices, let's say somebody comes into my office and buys a pair of, of Signia hearing aids. Down the road, they're going to need expertise, some help from me to get the most out of those devices. Adjustments on it. Uh, maybe there's a new feature that needs to be turned on or needs to be tweaked a little bit or I need to know more about. Uh, so there's all kinds of opportunities for an expert who is uh, understanding, is a good listener, who has a lot of empathy. Uh, those skills, e even as hearing aids become more and more automatic, those humanistic skills never go out of style. Oh, yes. That is, that is a good way to put it. It won't go out of style. Listening and empathy, amazing. So, so, so important. Brian, is there anything you would like to tell our patients where they can find you if they want to learn more about you or, or about Signia? <laughs> Where sure, well, I, I, I think you could probably Google Signia and find the webpage. There's a, an abundance of information there about all different kinds of products. Uh, you know, one product that we didn't talk about today, just to, I want to make sure that I at least make mention this because it's such a cool product. Um, it's called uh, Active, Active and Active Pro. It's really the first fully featured hearing aid that's disguised as an earbud. And uh, you know, we talked about only 15 to 30% of people with disabling hearing loss wear hearing aids. Well, I believe that this active product is a great way to expand the market because it's a hearing aid. And we talked about stigma. Well, here's a stigma busting product, I think, because it doesn't look like a set of hearing aids. Anyway, you can find that on the Signia website. Uh, my email, brian.taylor at wsa.com. If anybody wants to reach out to me, um, I'm happy to to field any emails that people might have. I want to make myself available to your listeners. Thank you very much. It's very appreciated. And thank you to the listeners of the All About Audiology podcast. As always, come and follow us on Instagram, on the Facebook page, and um, join the upcoming Hear Retreat for parents of different hard of hearing children. All that information is at allaboutaudiology.com. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.